Well, have you ever used a word or maybe continued using a word without fully knowing what it meant? Only you found out later it meant something completely different or something way deeper. For instance, if, if someone told you today, you look terrific, you'd probably receive that as a compliment. But did you know that one of the definitions of the word terrific, in fact, the original definition of the word terrific means causing terror? Did you know that? <laughs> Like, I'm helping some of us out today because there's times people will ask you a question. Maybe people that you love, they'll ask you questions like, how do I look? Uh, did you like dinner? What do you think of this, whatever it is? And you want to be honest, but you also don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, now you can be honest and not hurt their feelings by saying, you look terrific. And dinner was terrific. That right there, that is, that's terrific. <laughs> I'm going to get somebody in trouble today with, with, with that. <laughs> Knowing the full meaning of a word or a phrase can have a profound effect on your everyday life. That's how I feel about one word that we see in Scripture that has the ability to affect just about every part of our life. Even when I tell you the word here in a moment, you might think you already know how it applies. The word that we're going to focus on for this Christmas sermon series we're starting today is the word saved. And it means so much more than you could ever imagine. It's so much deeper than, than you can even think right now. That word saved is the reason there is hope, which is the name of the Christmas sermon series that we're starting today. If you happen to miss it earlier, or if you're just joining us uh, online for the sermon, uh, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And as I said, uh, this is the start of our Christmas sermon series today, which means we're only two weeks away from our Christmas Eve services. Christmas Eve, uh, we have four services planned for you and for anyone that you attend. And while Christmas Eve is on a Tuesday this year, we'll actually be starting our services on Sunday, December 22nd. So on that Sunday, the 22nd, we will have our 9 and 11 a.m. service only, no 6 p.m. service that day. And then on Tuesday, the 24th, on Christmas Eve, we'll have 3 and 5 p.m. services available as well. We have an amazing service, I believe, planned for you, and all four services are exactly the same. So don't feel like you're missing out on something if you attend on, on Sunday but not Tuesday or, or vice versa. They're all exactly the same. On uh, the seats when you came in were some invite cards. Please grab those and make sure and take those with you as well. This is the perfect opportunity to invite someone to attend church, even people who never, ever go to church. They are most open to attending at Christmas time. And so take that opportunity, take the invite card, start asking God who you might be able to invite to Christmas Eve, and we're going to have a great time uh, celebrating that. This whole series was born several months ago when I was reading the book of Matthew in the scripture. I came across a prophecy about Jesus. The prophecy was first recorded in the Old Testament book of Isaiah concerning the coming of the Messiah. It was then repeated by Matthew in his gospel called Matthew as a sign that Jesus was the one who fulfilled that prophecy, that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah, not just the King of the Jews, but the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, quoting from the book of Isaiah, this is what Matthew says. 
Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And here was the statement that got me. His name will be the hope of all the world. It's what we heard sung earlier, the name above all other names. And it got me thinking, what's so hopeful about his name? I mean, we all want hope, right? Everybody wants hope. But what's so hopeful about his name? So I started my search to answer that question. In the Hebrew language that Jewish people used, the name of Jesus is Yeshua. Here it is on the screens there. And that that name, Yeshua, means God saves. It's the combination of two other Hebrew words, Yah, the word for God, and Shua, the word for saves. God saves is Jesus' name. So, So why is the name of Jesus the hope of all the world? Well, first of all, because Jesus literally means God saves. Now, I know when I say that, not everyone who's here today believes in God or believes that God saves us through Jesus, and you have permission to believe that, and we will love you and honor you just the same. But speaking as someone who has had their life radically changed by the, by the saving power of the name of Jesus, like that's already pretty cool, right? That his name literally means, when you say Jesus, it means God saves. But wait, there's more. It's like an infomercial today. Look, I'm pitching my idea to Shark Tank and you're going to invest in it maybe today. In, in Christianity, when we hear the word saved, we most often think of being saved from or forgiven of our sins. That's what we typically think of. And that is true, but not full. It's not the full meaning of the word saved. Much like the common use of the word terrific means something great, the common use of the word saved means forgiven of our sins. We actually see this in the birth story of Jesus. When the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary, his fiancee, was indeed pregnant while a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1, 21, the angel says to Joseph, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, For he will save. Everyone say save. Save. He will save his people from their sins. That's what we normally think of. So Jesus means God saves. And here we see he will save his people from their sins. But then this is where it started getting super interesting for me. And some of you are like, I sure hope this gets interesting soon because you're doing terrific. (laughs) See what I did there? That was a good tie-in. I looked up the word save that Matthew used when he wrote Matthew 121. I looked up the word saved in the Greek language that Matthew used. And here's what the word save is in Greek. The word save is the word sozo. Here's how it looks in Greek. It just looks really cool. That's why we made church, we have some shirts made with the, the Greek word sozo on it. Uh, we actually have some, some stickers as well. It was so cool, I thought we should have shirts and stickers be a great gift out there at the Element Store. You can purchase that out there. I think it'd be a sweet tattoo. And now I'm going to get emails about tattoos. So the word, the, the word sozo, though, here's what it means. Let's put up the meaning on there. It actually means to save, which we get that. But look at what else it means. It means to heal, preserve, rescue, deliver, make whole. 
And we actually see that Greek word sozo translated into those other words in Scripture. We're going to see it actually today in the Scripture that we're, we're looking at. It, I told you it means so much more, that word saved, than you can even imagine. So, so then that definition of the word sozo reminded me of another prophecy about who the Messiah would be. It's one of the most famous, I believe, one of the most powerful prophecies about Jesus ever recorded. And I want you to notice in this prophecy the similarities to the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and then compare it to the definition of the word sozo. Isaiah 53, 3 through 6 says this. Speaking about the Messiah, who we know as Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be what? whole. That was from the definition. He was whipped so we could be what? Healed. Healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. Why? To sozo us. To save us. There is hope. And that hope is in the name of Jesus, the name above all other names, the name the wind and waves themselves obey. And why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus saves us. He sozos us. He saves us from our sins. We're going to look at that on Christmas Eve, and we're going to see one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible about God saving us from our, from our sins. He, he carries us in our sorrows. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, in the message on looking at how Jesus carries our sorrows. He delivers us and rescues us in our storms. We're putting together a whole video message that will be available on Sunday, December 29th, about walking through our storms. Uh, we don't have church on the Sunday after Christmas. We kind of we just close the doors and give all of our volunteers the weekend off uh, to be with their families, but we're going to put together a message for you uh, to watch online on that Sunday. And then today, he heals us in our bodies. Today, we're talking about healing. And here's the big idea I want us to focus on. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. I didn't hear it, so I'll say it. Amen, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. But some of you, are, you're already like, wait a minute. I, I prayed for God to heal my, my mom. I prayed for God to heal my spouse. I prayed for God to heal my child. I prayed for God to heal me, whatever it is, and he didn't do it. In fact, some of you right now, even knowing the topic for today, you are struggling to believe in or trust in God or Jesus because you prayed for healing and he didn't do it. And I get it. I know how confusing that can be, Okay. Or you might be thinking about a TV preacher or, or someone who has abused the, the promise of healing to make a buck off of, of other people. And now you're wondering just where this you know, joker's going with this message on, on healing. What am I going to now gonna say? And, and listen, I, I understand how confusing this entire subject of healing can be. But either Jesus is our healer or he can't be God. 
Either Jesus is our healer or he cannot be our hope. That Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. So we've got to ask this big question today. What should I know about how Jesus heals? We've got, we got to understand how Jesus heals. Mark 5, 21 through 34 is the main scripture today. Mark is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. And many scholars believe it was written by a man named John Mark, who was a traveling companion of the apostle Peter, which makes this most likely Peter's eyewitness account to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you don't have your own Bible, we'll give you one for free today, not just for Christmas, but we give them away every Sunday. Uh, ask for a Bible out in the lobby, we'll get you one free of charge. Mark 5. We're going to read through the first portion, make some comments, then read through the rest of the story, and then we're going to see three things we've, I think we should know about how Jesus heals. Mark 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, the Jewish temple, whose name, or Jewish synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hand on her. Uh, heal her so she can live. We're going to finish the story of Jairus next week, by the way, as we look at how Jesus walks with us in our sorrows. Verse 24. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Scholars, all scholars I've read, agree the type of bleeding she suffered from was menstrual bleeding. Only instead of occurring monthly, it didn't stop for 12 straight years. Now, according to Jewish law, a woman who was uh, on her period, she was considered unclean. And when you were unclean, not only are you unclean, but anything and anyone you touch becomes unclean. For 12 years, she dealt with this. And this is a huge deal because if you were unclean, you were denied many aspects of life, including worshiping God in his temple. So beside the horrible physical condition that she was, was dealing with, the emotional burden alone would have been impossible to carry. And if her condition was public knowledge, the ridicule, rejection, exclusion, and neglect would have been overwhelming for this woman for 12 years. She was considered unclean. Verse 26. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. Isn't that an awesome phrase? Like somebody was talking about who this Jesus was. She heard about him. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be what? Healed. It's the Greek word sozo. I'll be sozo. Immediately when she touched him, the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman 
trembling at the realization of what, what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done, probably expecting what she might have received from the Jewish leaders, ridicule, scorn, rejection. But he said to her, daughter, which was a term of endearment, by the way. We don't know how she was treated, but perhaps one of the kindest words she had heard in 12 years. Daughter, your faith has made you well. It's the Greek word sozo. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healing and what should we know about how Jesus heals? Well, the first thing I see in the story here is this. It is unconditional. The healing of Jesus is unconditional. Meaning this. Healing is not conditioned on your place in culture or your place in Christianity. Remember where the story started? Jairus, the leader of the local synagogue, asking Jesus to, to heal his daughter. Everyone would expect Jesus to, to heal the daughter of, of Jairus. He was important. He was, he was looked up to. He was a, a spiritual leader. No one would expect Jesus to heal this woman with, with the, 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 the issue of, uh, of blood. She was unclean. She was a nobody. She was rejected and, and, and outcast, despised. At the very least, she would have been in on the very bottom of the spiritual totem pole. But Jesus is our hope because the healing of Jesus is unconditional. It does not depend on your status in culture or your status in Christianity. The only condition to healing is faith. It's faith. Now, faith does not guarantee you'll be healed, but without faith, you can't be. In Mark chapter 9, a father brings his son to Jesus. The son, at the very least, had been oppressed by demons, most likely was possessed by demons. The father says this to Jesus in Mark 9, 22 through 24. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes, has faith. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Anyone else feel like this desperate father sometimes? Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, church, this is so often my prayer. God, I do believe, but you got to help me overcome my unbelief because I still got pockets of unbelief in my life where I'm just not sure if God can do that one. Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. What should I know about how Jesus heals? It's unconditional. Praise the Lord. It's available to anyone but God, you got to help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe God, but help me overcome my unbelief. Second thing I see in the story about what we should know and how Jesus heals is this. It is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Like this woman had to put herself out there. She had to expose who she was and what she did and what was wrong with her. Some people have in this room. You might have a, 
a need for healing that's, that's obvious. It's maybe a physical need that you have. For, it's visible. You can see it. But others of you, probably in this room, you have hidden problems that need healed. Maybe not even physical ones, like mental, emotional, spiritual things that need healing. And I'm convinced there's at least one person here today, you're a little bit like this woman, you've tried all the options, but you've only gotten worse. It's gotten worse. It's uncomfortable to put yourself out there and admit to someone that you are broken. But listen, there is something powerful, if not necessary, about confessing our need for healing to other Christians. In fact, James, the, the brother of Jesus, which can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? My goodness. Why can't you be more like your brother? James, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this in his letter, James 5, 13 through 15. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders, the leaders of the church, to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal sozo the sick, and the Lord will make you well. That's actually what we're going to do here at the end of the service. Uh, we have some anointing oil. Nothing magical about this oil at all, but it is symbolic. Oil represents the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and we are commanded uh, in Scripture to use oil when we pray for healing. And listen, I'm believing God's going to provide healing today. I believe it. But you're going to have to ask for it. And it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to get out of your seat and come down front and reach out to touch the hem of Jesus', Jesus garment, if you will, to, to speak the name of Jesus over your life, the name above all other names, the name the wind and waves obey. Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. So what should we know about how Jesus heals? It's unconditional, praise God, available to anyone. It's uncomfortable. You got to come out and kind of confess what your sickness is and maybe no one else knows what it is but you. And for the first time, you're going to speak it out loud and trust the name of Jesus to heal your brokenness. This leads right into the last thing I see that we've got to know about how Jesus heals. Number three is this. It is unknown. The healing of Jesus is unknown. Meaning, we don't know how he heals. <laughs> We don't know if he will heal. Like, what if you step out and you ask for healing and he doesn't do it? It's unknown. I don't know why God chooses to heal some people sometimes and other people he doesn't. That is a much higher pay grade than I've been given access to, church. Right? I don't know. All I know is this. God is still in the healing business. Jesus is still our healer. He is still the healer, okay? We already saw how we can and should ask for, for healing as long as we understand the result is unknown. We, we don't know. I could tell you stories of people in our own church who have received healing. You could, some of you could tell stories of people being being healed, but the, the danger in telling stories of healing is that we begin to put our hope in the healing, which can actually lead to 
massive disappointment in life. You see, our hope is not in the healing. Our hope is in the healer, Jesus. Our hope is not in what Christ can do for us. Our hope is in Christ and what he already did on our behalf. That's actually what Christmas is all about, that Jesus left his holy throne in heaven to become a helpless child. Jesus, God in the flesh, a baby, modeled a perfect life for us, died because of us paying the price for our sins, but three days later, he rose victorious so that any one of us, by faith in him, by repenting of our sins, can be forgiven of our sins. We get a new life today and power from the Holy Spirit to live our lives for him every day, and then one day, one day, we get to spend eternity with Jesus, our healer. Our healer. Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. But the ultimate healing is not what happens on this side of eternity. That's unknown. Yes, God does still heal. Sometimes he uses the miracle of the human body combined with medicine. That's still healing. Sometimes he intervenes with the power of his mighty hand, and we're going to pray for that today. But the ultimate healing does not exist on this side of eternity. Like, do you realize? I think we forget this sometimes. Every person Jesus has ever healed, both in the Bible and since then, every person who's ever been healed, guess what still happens to them? They die. All of them have. If there were still somebody alive that Jesus healed, trust me, there would be a story about it. That's why our hope can't be in the healing. It's got to be in the healer. Because one day, one day, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, thank you, Jesus, one day we will receive our ultimate healing when we get our new, glorified, resurrected bodies where there's no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain, no more disease, no more hurts, no more doubts, no more unbelief, one day it's coming. It's coming. And that's where our hope is. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55 says this, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into new bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death cannot touch the believer. Can't touch you. Why? Because your healing's still waiting on the other side. And your healing's waiting in the healer. But until that day, Jesus is still our hope because he's our healer. He sozos us. Sozos us. I'm going to ask the band to come out and our staff and prayer team to take their places. Here's how we're going to close today. We're going to transition into, into worship and prayer, okay? And as we worship, we are going to open it up to be prayed for healing. We have uh, prayer teams 
all across the front of the auditorium. We have one in the very back as well. So there in the very back at the center of the sound booth, wave your hands back there, guys. That's our prayer team in the back. And if you want healing, you're going to get out and ask for it, okay? You're going to come forward. They're going to ask you, what are we praying for? Please understand, we do not have time to hear your whole life story and how it all happened. We just need to know what we're praying for. And I mean, down to the basics, I have cancer. I have, I struggle with depression, whatever it is, okay? You know what your need is. And then they're going to pray for you and anoint you with oil. And again, we're not like, you know, dumping oil all over you. They're literally going to take this anointing oil flask, put some on their finger like that. They're going to place it on your head and they're going to pray in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus for your healing. And listen, gang, I am believing God for healing today. Will you join me? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to say a prayer. This might sound weird to some people, but I believe in the spiritual principle of authority. That as the senior pastor of this church, God's given me spiritual authority as the leader. So in my prayer, I'm going to transfer my authority to these people praying. I believe that's real. You can disagree with me, that's fine. But I'm doing it. And then we're going to worship. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, engage in worship while we pray. But we will stay as long as needed to pray for you. As long as needed. Okay? So don't hesitate to get out of your chair, reach out, and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, by the blood that he shed on the cross, we ask you right now, in Jesus' name, to invade our time and space with your power. God, I transfer, I, I, I take the authority you gave me as the pastor of these beautiful people, and Lord, I give it to those who are praying today. May my authority in the spiritual war from, for, world from your authority that's been given to us, may it be given to them to pray for healing. Lord, I, 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 I declare in this place, darkness has no place, evil has no place, sickness has no place, doubt has no place, worry has no place. Lord, in this place, your name reigns. And so by the powerful name of Jesus, would you heal today? Lord, open up hearts to receive what you have for them. Lord, we worship you, the name of Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.